Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the TechLoft Podcast. We're in episode 15, and we've got a few headlines here ready to go to uh, discuss for this week's episode. Before I begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can catch this podcast on several different podcast platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Let's try saying that ten, that 10 times. Radio Public and Stitcher Radio. We're available there so you can subscribe uh, to us on your favorite platform. So let's begin. So our first headline is, is um, solidifying Google's entrance into the gaming sphere. So the gaming the um, gaming gaming industry is worth 140 billion dollars and Google is for sure getting into it with their streaming service. So the tech giant best known for its search engine and Android operating system now uh, for smartphones now seeks to take a stab at revolutionizing the $100 billion gaming industry currently dominated by incumbents like Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. As as Google seeks to diversify its revenue sources beyond digital ads, gaming presents a massive opportunity for the company. So right now, if you want to play a hit game, you usually need to spend a few hundred bucks on a console like a PS4 or Xbox One, or spend about a thousand bucks on a high-end gaming PC. Then you either need to go to the store uh, and buy a physical game disc or wait for a large file to download to your console, which take out, which can take hours. Google's streaming service could change that model by letting users stream top games to the devices they already own, like a laptop, smartphone, or streaming box connected to a TV. Google's vision is to let people stream games wherever they are, on a phone or a computer or a tablet, without the need for them, uh, sorry, without the need for anything more than a zippy internet connection. So Google has already shown how this works on a small scale with Project, Project Stream. A trial that uh, a trial that let people stream Assassin's Creed Odyssey with nothing more than a Chrome browser running on a cheap computer like a Chromebook. Traditionally, gamers needed to own a gaming PC, a PlayStation 4, an Xbox One, or a Nintendo Switch to play that game. But Google proved it was possible to do all that hard rendering in the cloud instead of locally on an uh, on an expensive machine. While there's already an understanding of how Project Stream worked, there is still lots of questions around how Google's rumored Yeti console will operate. Since the processing is expected to occur remotely in the cloud, Yeti may have a simple piece of hardware, perhaps just a controller or streaming box that connects to your TV. That lets users stream games instead of playing them locally on traditional gaming consoles. So, Google, uh, so why does this matter? Google has a chance to completely upend the video game industry, which IDC analyst Lewis Ward told CNBC generated $136 billion in revenues in 2018 and is growing at a rate of 15% a year. If Google pulls this off, it could mean a lot of additional revenue for the company and might mean a loss of business for kings of the console market, Microsoft and Sony. 
So, I mean, I don't think I'm ready to give up my uh, ownership of gaming consoles. I pretty much buy one every generation. Uh, the fact that you can play these AAA titles uh, through your through just a high end, you know, a fast internet connection and your browser that is pretty neat because now you've eliminated the cost of expensive hardware. But now, what kind of games? Um, will you be able to play on these inexpensive uh, computers? That's the thing. I mean, there, while, while all the uh, rendering and co computations are done in the cloud, um, that's just more data to push through on your um, on your internet uh, connection. But what do I know? I'm no I'm no systems engineer. I'm not a, a programmer, developer, or anything like that. But like I said, it's pretty cool that now you can play. Um, well-known titles uh, with just your browser and a, and a controller connected to your computer. Uh, that's that's great. But, you know, there's also the thing of exclusives too, uh, which, which I have a story on that as well. So uh, now there was also a rumor that Sega is going in with Google on this console, but I don't have anything confirming that right now. It was just uh, just a rumor as of right now. So we'll see what happens as... Uh, as time goes on. Our next story is about the Atari VCS gaming console. Now this I believe was a Kickstarter last year and I believe the shipping, excuse me, the shipping date was supposed to be uh, July 2019 so we're a few months away from it but let's check out what the, what news we have on this um, Atari VCS gaming console. So when the folks Working on the upcoming Atari VCS game console first announced plans to launch a gaming PC for the living room with a classic Atari design features. The plan was to ship an inexpensive system powered by a 2016 era AMD Bristol Ridge processor. So, you know, we've got a so-so uh, processor inside uh, this, uh, this Atari console. Now, the developers have announced that they've retooled their design and the Atari C uh, VCS will ship with the newer AMD Ryzen chips instead. Uh, but before we get too excited about that, that doesn't mean that you're going to get AMD Threadripper class performance. Uh, the Atari VCS will instead use a low-power AMD Ryzen embedded chip, like the ones used in single-board computers, mini PCs, and handheld game systems. But the upshot is that the folks building the Atari C um, VCS says that the newer chip is faster, cooler, and more efficient than the aging Bristol Ridge processor they've been using. So this is pretty neat. This is a nice, uh, a nice little bonus for 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 those that have. Um, put their money into uh, to pick up one of these consoles. Now they're going to get something that's been updated um, um, before they get it. So it's not like uh, there was a, a first generation, they've got these uh, cheaper CPUs, and then the second generation have uh, updated CPUs while the, and the first generation were left out with these old ones. But this is, uh, I mean, th th I wouldn't mind this if I was, uh, if I was um, um, a crowdfunder, uh, Looking, looking to pick one of these up. So it also brings native support for 4K video, HDCP support for playback of video <laughs> infected with DRM, and that's services of Netflix, HBO, and other streaming providers, and native support for Ethernet. 
There is one disadvantage to the processor change. The Atari VCS has originally been scheduled to ship in July. Now the ship date has been pushed back to the end of 2019 for the backers uh, of the Atari VCS. So, um, you know, not too bad. I mean, hey, you're, you've got a free upgrade before you even, uh, before uh, the um, the uh, console was uh, was uh, mass produced. So that's uh, it's it's exciting news. It's good news, um, but uh, comes with a you know a little bit of bad news. But I think uh, this updated CPU support uh, trumps trumps the the wait time. Um, so for those of you that don't know, the Atari VCS is basically a small, cheap computer with a modern with modern hardware packed inside a case that's designed to resemble Atari's classic game systems from the 70s and 80s. There's even an optional wood panel design. While you'll be able to play some modern games on the system, it will also ship with 100 classic arcade games pre-installed. Now, I did not um, get my hands on one of these VCSs uh, in terms of uh, backing this campaign. Um, I did know about it, but uh, I felt um, I wasn't, it wasn't for me. I, I, I went as far back as Nintendo, um, ownership of Nintendo Classic, Super Nintendo Classic, uh, and all those ones. Um, and in terms of moving ahead in the future, I'm still sticking with PlayStation, uh, with Sony's PlayStation. I'm not sure I'll be committing to uh, the Atari VCS when it's when it's out um, and available for everyone. Now, moving on, we've got a very big rumor here on the horizon. Now, we don't know if this is true or not, but I think it's a big deal. There's a rumor out there that Sony may be interested in buying Take-Two Interactive and Rockstar Games. This is a big deal because if Sony owns Rockstar Games, will all the Grand Theft Auto um, releases just be on the PS4? I mean, I don't think so, but I could probably see a delay for other consoles. So the exact source of the rumors is unknown, but the story was first reported by a website by the Market Watch. Their short paragraph of news has been updated multiple times, but originally stated that Sony, and I quote, is in advanced board level discussions to acquire Take Two Interactive in a mostly cash deal. That that detail, along with a share price value of $130, has since been removed, but the story still references Joel Kalina, head of technolo- technology and media trading at Wedbush Securities. So while there are no sources, there's a strong possibility that the whole story is entirely fictional. Although, as pointed out by MarketWatch, Take-Two's shares has seen a sharp rise before they published their story, suggesting there were plenty of people who believed the rumors to be true before the news went public. Now, back in 2008, EA attempted to buy Take-Two, but after seven months of negotiations, uh, decided that the asking price was too much. That was at a time when Take Two was struggling under financial under a financial scandal, amongst many other execs, execs and suffering disappointing results. Despite of the success of Grand Theft Auto Four, today there are no such problems, and Take Two has a market capitalization of around ten billion dollars, which would require an offer 
of around $14 billion to buy them. Sony as a whole has a market capitalization of around $60 billion. So they're obviously a much bigger company, but it would be an unusually large purchase under normal financial wisdom. The real question, though, is why would they even want to buy Take-Two all of a sudden? With the next generation coming up, it could um, it could be something to do with that, perhaps as a way to increase their stable of exclusive games in the face of competing streaming services, but that's certainly an unexpected move. Um, but you know what? Microsoft is going around buying... Um, buying other uh, companies, developers, uh, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to see a lot more exclusives on the Xbox um, compared to um, the Sony PlayStation. But uh, again, all this is, is a rumor, but um, I tell you, it is. it would be a huge deal um, both both financially and in, in terms of uh, the gaming market, but this is just a rumor. So my next story here I chose because it's actually um, it actually has to do with uh, something that's close to home and it's involving our Toronto Blue Jays. And what's happening here is that the management of the Blue Jays is imposing a curfew on their players uh, for playing too much Fortnite. Unbelievable. So the Toronto Blue Jays have decided that their players are gaming too damn much before they play their big boy games. So to address this, the Jays are going to be restricting their players' video game time on game days as one would with a teenager with bad grades. On Monday, the Athletics' John Lott tweeted out that general manager Charlie Mentoyo was set to I quote, impose pregame curfew on playing video games in um, in the clubhouse this season. Some players suggest there was too much Fortnite last year. According to Sportsnet, the decision was player-driven and the uh, athletes bro- uh, broached the subject with Mentoyo during a meeting this spring. Now, for those of you that are not in the know. Fortnite is an extremely popular third-person battle royale shooter. This isn't the first time that the uber-popular game has been brought up, shall we say, less than favorably in connection to baseball. In May of last year, Boston's David Price, um, one of the top pitchers in the league, was beset by a case of carpal tunnel, an odd injury for a professional athlete which some speculated was the result of Fortnite, Price would allegedly haul an Xbox around on a backpack and he and his teammate would play Fortnite during their downtime. He vowed to cut down his gaming after the injury. So there you go. It looks like Fortnite has infiltrated professional sports and uh, it, it's unbelievable. You Now management has to step in and uh, tell these guys to... Uh, Take it easy. It's exactly as the article said. These guys are like teenagers. Uh, <laughs> when their grades drop, uh, you're going to have to take their gaming console away. But I thought this was uh, an interesting and, and funny story to uh, to bring in. But there you go. Toronto Blue Jays cutting down the Fortnite uh, on their, uh, for their players. So now we're going to shift from uh, gaming to just web web news and uh, technology news. And uh, there is an article here that I found um, I, I wanted to share with everyone. And uh, it's regarding the WhatsApp co-founder and how he's um, 
urging what, uh, Facebook users to delete their Facebook. Now, this is the second time the story has come up. So uh, I'm just going to, in case you missed the first one, uh, the Facebook, uh, sorry, the WhatsApp co-founder Brian Acton appeared as a speaker at a class at Stanford University earlier this week. Uh, this this Now, this, where we're talking about uh, March 17 was the public, uh, publication date of this post. Um, where he spoke about the decision to sell the company, WhatsApp, to Facebook and urge students to delete their Facebook accounts. Now, according to uh, BuzzFeed News, Acton spoke during an undergraduate course called Computer Science 181 alongside other former Facebook employee, Alora Israni, founder of She++. During the class, Acton spoke about why he sold WhatsApp to Facebook in the first place and why he left and criticized the drive to priority drive to prioritize monetization over users' privacy. During his talk, he noted that major technology and social media companies like Apple and Google have struggled to moderate their content. Um, I, I quote Acton here. These companies are not equipped to make these decisions, he said, and we give them the power. That's the bad part. We buy their products. We sign up for their websites. Acton has been a vocal critic of Facebook since leaving the company in 2017 over issues with Facebook's desire to monetize its services. This also isn't the first time he's called for people to delete their accounts. He said the same thing last year following the Cambridge Analytica scandal. So uh, what the, what's going on here is that he's criticizing uh, Facebook for collecting users' data and using it for advertisements uh, where Acton actually was just content with charging his the users a dollar, and there's your revenue. So I believe WhatsApp had like a billion users or a billion accounts. Charge a dollar, you've got a billion dollars. But in Facebook's eyes, that's not enough, and uh, that's what he also uh, one of the reasons why he left uh, Facebook was. Um, they just wanted to make even more money over a lot of money. And he also had disagreements with uh, the executive team over there. Um, and he just was losing. He, he, while, he wa- while he worked there, he still managed the product. He was, you know, but uh, he started losing control. And so he just decided to left, uh, leave. But in other uh, in another story is that Acton has another messaging service, and it is called. I did download it. It is called Signal. It's free. It's encrypted. It's secure. Um, and that um, I, I believe too that we have to move away from Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, and all that stuff because company like Facebook, they just love data and data is worth money and they'll do and they don't care. They don't care. What's the worst they can pay? The worst they, that that can happen to them is pay a fine and move on and continue doing it. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm on Acton's side here in terms of leaving. I think it's just a matter of time before more people start waking up and start shutting down their Facebook accounts. Honestly, I'm probably on Facebook once a week. Uh, or a couple times a week, 
um, far less, far less than what I used to be uh, like checking in every day and stuff like that. It's, it's not, it's not something that I do a lot of. Now, my next article is something that's absolutely ridiculous. We've seen, I, th- I believe Chicago has something along the lines where they have an entertainment tax, but Uganda has a tax as well for people, for services on the internet. Uh, so we have millions of Ugandans quit, uh, quitting internet services as social media tax takes effect. So millions of people in Uganda have abandoned social media after after punishing taxes were imposed on the use of networking sites and, and on money transactions using mobile phones. A daily levy introduced in July to tame idle talk online and raise revenue affects more than 60 online platforms, including Facebook, WhatsApp, and Twitter. To use such sites, Ugandans are expected to pay a tax of 200 Ugandan shillings. Um, And now I'm reading this. This is from The Guardian, which is about 4p, 4 pence a day. Now, regardless, it could be half a pence. Um, Just the fact that they're being charged a tax is just ridiculous, unacceptable. This is... This is government, again, reaching in way too far. In the three months following the introduction of the levy, the number of internet subscriptions to such services fell by more than 2.5 million, according to the Uganda Communications Commission. Fears have been raised over the impact on the economy. At the time the tax was imposed, David Batty, Uganda's finance minister said the legislation aimed to raise revenue for public services. However, the president, Yari Musveni, wrote to the finance ministry in March urging the introduction of the tax as a way to deal with the consequences of online gossip. Critics have described the tax as an attempt to restrict free speech and warned of the damaging impact on the economy. A lack of formal banking services in Uganda means many people rely on mobile phone companies to send money by text message. Human rights experts say that while the statistics on internet usage are concerning, the true impact of the tax on civic engagement and freedom of speech remains to be seen. Um, and this is interesting. In 2016, Musveni ordered all social media sites to be shut down during the elections to stop the spread of misleading information. I call that censoring. But anyways, there you go. Uganda, um, Uganda uh, has a tax, internet tax. Um, this this kind of garbage has to stop. Um, I hope it, it, it does... Um, get repealed. Uh, It's just ridiculous. I don't agree with it. And finally, a bit of fun, uh, fun facts. So I found this uh, article on what happens in an internet minute in 2019. So this is what's happening. Every 60 seconds, you've got 1 million people logging into Facebook, you've got 18.1 million texts sent. Now see, text messages, that's not carried over the internet, that's carried over your carrier's network. Now, if we're talking about um, messaging, like WhatsApp, that's a category on its own, but text messages sent, I don't think that applies here, because that doesn't use the internet. 
Um, we've got 450 million videos viewed on YouTube. Uh, between um, Google Play and the App Store, you've got 390,030 apps downloaded. With Instagram, we've got 347,222 people scrolling Instagram, 87,500 people tweeting, 1.4 million swipes on Tinder, 188 million emails sent, 1 million views on Twitch, 41 music streaming subscriptions. Now, does that mean opened up uh, first-time subscriptions, paid subscriptions? Uh, 180 smart speakers shipped uh, by Amazon and Google, Amazon Echo and Google Home. You've got 4.8 million GIFs served uh, served from uh, Jiffy. Um, We've got 41.6 million messages sent. That's uh, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, which down the road, I could probably see these two being combined into one service. Uh, You've got 2.1 million snaps created, $996,956,000 spent online. In one minute, you've got 694, 444 hours watched on on Netflix. In Google searches, you've got 3.8 million. And that is what happens in 60 seconds on the internet in 2019. Just something something interesting that I thought you made like to uh, to hear. But anyways, folks, that's our episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, these episodes have been going a little bit long, as my buddy would say, long in the tooth. Uh, seems to be um, going on beyond the 10 minutes I thought I would have these uh, episodes um uh, in length, in, in terms of duration, but uh, they are going long, so I think I need to work on that and retool um, how many uh, how many news news articles I share during the uh, during the podcast. Anyways, folks, once again, thank you for for listening uh, to the podcast. Once again, you can visit our website, thetechloft.com. You can uh, subscribe on Anchor. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher Radio. Uh, Any questions, you can, for the time being, follow us and tweet us through Twitter. Um, We may be leaving Twitter. Who knows? Who knows? I'm just getting sick and tired of all the garbage out there. I just don't want to deal with. (laughs) But... um, We'll catch you in the next episode, so please stay tuned and uh, ciao for now.